my favorite Christmas verses of all is found in Isaiah chapter 9 and verses 6 and 7 in particular. It uh, speaks to us about the role of Jesus as a son. In fact, the verse says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7 tells us of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it, establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward. Even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The verse doesn't start out in, in real spectacular fashion. It says, unto us a child is born. Everybody here that's a parent uh, knows what it's like to have a child born. But it turns spectacular very quickly when it says a son is given. A son who already existed. A son who had always existed. He is given. It says the government will be on his shoulder. And then the names applied to that, that son, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, or father of eternity, prince of peace. Of course, Jesus Christ is the Christmas son that that passage is talking about. As the father of two sons and the father of five grandsons, I can say that sons are, are special. Not more so than, than, than daughters. Daughters are pretty wonderful too, amen? Uh, but uh, Jesus is the most special, most wonderful son of all times. This Christmas season with the, the hope that it will help us to appreciate Jesus, our Savior, more fully. I'd like to focus our study and worship on some of the special ways in which Jesus fills that role as son. He's the son of Abraham. He's the son of Adam. He's the son of David. He calls himself the son of man. And he's spoken of in Scripture also as being, amazingly, the son, the son of God. This morning we want to consider Jesus as the son of Adam and also as the son of, of Abraham. And the first thing I need to do is give you a correction. Uh, you'll notice you have the wrong Scripture passage for uh, the genealogy of Jesus uh, in connection with Adam. That's my fault. I don't know how I must have got him messed up, but if you will scratch out Matthew chapter 1 and put in there Luke 3, 23 through 38, and then later on when we get down a little further, if you'll scratch out Luke chapter 3 and write in there Matthew 1, 1 to 17, then things will make a little more sense if you're reading along through the Scripture passage while we, we talk this morning. But we find that he's, Jesus is spoken of here as the son of Adam. Uh, we find in Luke chapter 3 the genealogy, probably the genealogy of, of Mary. Uh, and we find that she is a descendant of David, the king, through, uh, through Nathan. And uh, we find that she is the biological mother of the Lord Jesus Christ in every sense of the word. And through her comes Jesus' biological right to sit on the throne of David. But the thing you should, another important thing you should notice about this genealogy 
is the fact that if, if you go over to verse 38, we're not going to read through the whole thing, but if you go over to the verse 38 in Luke chapter 3, it talks about the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God, especially created uh, product of God's creative work. But we find this genealogy goes clear back to Adam, and it is not without significance. First of all, we, as we go back and we look at the passage in Genesis chapter 3, we find that Jesus is the fulfillment of a promise that God made to Adam. Uh, this The fall has taken place. God told Adam and Eve that they could eat from any tree in the Garden of Eden except for one, and the day that they ate of that fruit, they would surely die. If they ate of that fruit, they weren't supposed to. And so God pronounces a curse upon the earth, curse upon Adam, upon Eve, and upon Satan and the serpent. And in connection with that curse that he pronounces upon Satan and the serpent, he indicates that one day the seed of the woman would come, and the seed of the woman would have his heel bruised by Satan, but he would crush Satan's head. He would destroy him. That term, seed of the woman, is a unique term in Scripture. In fact, uh, basically a unique term in, in Eastern uh, writings. It's always the seed of the man, seed of the man. Uh, but, but here it talks about the seed of the woman. And it's not necessarily talking about a specific op- offspring uh, of Eve. She thought maybe... It was going to be one of her first sons that would be born, but we know what happened there. Abel ends up being slain by Cain. So it's obvious neither one of those boys was going to be the fulfillment of that prophecy. But we find out that indeed one day a person was going to come into this world who was only going to be the seed of a woman, miraculously conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and he would be the one who would do the destroying of Satan and gain us the victory over him that we need, and one day even lift the curse that came as a result of man's fall. And who is the fulfillment of that promise? It's Jesus, son of Adam. He's the one that fulfills that verse in special in special fashion. We find he is the Savior that God provided for all humanity. Jesus is the Savior upon whom all people must call. Uh, The Savior is sufficient for all humanity, but that doesn't mean everybody's going to be saved. Nobody's automatically saved just by being born into this world. In fact, the opposite's true. We're born into this world as lost sinners, and something has to take place in our life. We have to be born again. We have to become a child of God by putting our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, and, and He's available to all, but we must call upon Him. That's our responsibility. Our responsibility is to see that we need the gift that he offers to us and to receive that gift and accept it as our very own. He's the Savior upon whom all people must call. And then I want to share with you today a passage of Scripture that's been very special to me this week. In fact, one of the basic reasons why we stuck around as long as we did here so I could preach this morning. And that's the fact that Jesus provides resurrection for the descendants of Adam. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 22, it tells us over there that as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, 
Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. You see, there's a problem. As in Adam, all people die and need resurrection. It is not an unusual thing when people die. Sometimes the circumstances may seem unusual. The timing may seem unusual. But if, if we're related to Adam, anybody in here that's not related to Adam? I didn't think so. If we're related to Adam, one of these days we are going to die. It, it's going to happen. It, it's a reality in life. But I so thank God that the Son has been provided. Jesus, the Son, has been provided. The special Son of Adam. And we find that he provides that resurrection for us. Back in Job. As Job's answering one of his, his comforters and, and bemoaning how, how terrible, terrible his life is. In fact, even wishing almost that, that he had never been born or that he could die. And Job posits the question, if a man dies, will he rise again? What's the answer to that question? Help me out. If a man dies, will he rise again? Can that happen? It can happen. It will happen. It has happened. Jesus died on the cross, and on the third day, what happened? He rose again. And, and as the son of Adam, we find here that in Adam all die, but in Christ, if you know Christ, all shall be made alive in various orders. Those were Christ at his coming. That's what I'm looking forward to. In fact, I'm hoping I don't die. I just get changed in the twinkling of an eye at the, the moment of his coming. But, but if I should die... I look forward to being part of that group or the dead in Christ that are going to rise first and meet the Lord in the air and then ever be with the Lord. That's what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. He provides life for us. He's called the last Adam. We, we have the, Adam's called a, a living being uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 45. And we find the description back in Genesis how God created Adam out of the dust of the earth. In fact, the name Adam has to do with, with dirt, dust. Uh, if we remember that, we'll remember where we came from and not get too, uh, too proud here. But he's created out of the dust of the earth, and then what happened? God breathed into him life, and he became a living being. What a remarkable thing. That here life has come into this body that God has created. A supernatural miracle of God. What an amazing thing that happens here that God's responsible for. But there's something even greater than that. Adam became a living being. But according to 1 Corinthians 15, 45, Jesus gives life. Not only is Jesus alive, not only was he resurrected to a glorified resurrection body, but he also gives life. He gives life to all who call upon him. I love what he said to Martha outside the tomb of Lazarus when she's mourning the loss of her brother Lazarus. And the, the Lord Jesus talks to her and he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, what? He shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asked Martha, do you believe this? What he's saying here is we will never, if we have spiritual life, we'll never lose spiritual life. If you're here this morning and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and God's your heavenly father and you have spiritual life, eternal life, you will never lose that. Nothing will ever change that. 
It's everlasting life. It's eternal life. You will always have that relationship with God. He's your father. You're his child. You got that by his grace. You got it through faith, and it belongs to you. And even if you die physically, and that can happen, even if you die physically like Lazarus did, like Adam did, we will live again. He, Jesus said, he who lives in me, what did he say? Though he may die, yet shall he live. Physical life, spiritual resurrection, eternal life. And who's it available through? It's available through the Lord Jesus Christ as we have a relationship with him. Two points of application as far as Jesus' connection with Adam. Number one, Jesus is the Savior who is needed by and provided for all the descendants of Adam. And number two, where we all have death because of our connection with Adam, Jesus brings life. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? I'm glad for the last Adam. I'm glad for the second Adam. I'm glad for the life that he brings to us and the hope that we have, even when we have a loved one that steps over into glory and leaves us from this world. We find Jesus is also spoken of as being the son of, of Abraham. And here we go again. Help me with the correction here. You've got white out. White it out. Otherwise, you scratch it out. Uh, and right in there, instead of Luke 3, right in there, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And what we have here is a genealogy in Matthew 1 that, that begins with Abraham this time. It doesn't start with Adam, doesn't go back to Adam, but it just goes to Abraham. And this is the, likely the genealogy of Joseph, who was Jesus' legal, though not biological, father. Joseph contributed absolutely nothing to the birth of Jesus. Now, he had something to do with raising Jesus, as we see in, in, in the Gospels, but he contributed nothing to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was recognized as his legal father, and in fact, through Joseph, Jesus gets the legal right to sit on the throne of David. Through Mary, he gets the biological right to sit on the throne of David. And uh, we find that there was a, a cursed king named Kaniah in the line through which, Jacob, through which Joseph comes. And so it's a good thing there's no biological connection between Jesus and Joseph because that's the only way to get around that curse that God pronounced on Kaniah. And uh, we find that Jesus, as far as being the son of Abraham, is the fulfillment of promises that God made to Abraham. If you were to go back to the book of Genesis, and we're not going to take time to do that this morning, but you got the scripture references there, you would find God called a man by the name of of Abram from Ur of the Chaldees, over in the area where the wise men came from that saw the star. You know, the songs all talk about seeing the star in the east. Well, for those guys, the star was really in the west. They were in the east. And then they traveled west to go to Bethlehem and find the baby Jesus there, uh, maybe in a house by the time they got to Bethlehem. But at any rate, we find that God calls out this man, Abraham, and he gives him some wonderful promises. He says, I want you to leave your family, and you go to a place that I'm going to show you. And, and as you do that, I am going to give you land. In fact, I'll give you all the land on which you set your foot in this particular area, all the land from the river Euphrates to the river of Egypt, the Nile River. Uh, I, I'm going to give you descendants as numerous 
as the, the, sta- the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore, and, and I'm going to give you blessing. I'm going to bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and I am going to curse, uh, excuse me, I'm going to bless all nations through you, and I'm going to bless all nations through your particular seed, one particular descendant. So we have the, the covenant spell is basically is made up of a special descendant promise, a land promise, and a blessing promise. That's the Abrahamic covenant, the promise God made to Abraham. We find that Jesus came to be the fulfillment of these promises to Abraham. He is the special seed of Abraham through whom all the nations can be blessed. He's the one person that's ever been in this world that can be a blessing to absolutely everyone and provide a blessing that absolutely everyone needs. We find the Apostle Paul, directed by the Holy Spirit, makes a special point out of the fact that when God made his promises to Abraham, that now Abraham and his seed, singular, were promises made, and he does not say, and to seeds, not all Abraham's descendants, as of many, but as of one. And your seed, and who is that one seed? It's Christ. It's the Messiah. It's Jesus. He's the one whose fulfillment of all these promises. Christmas is about promises, isn't it? Sometimes we make promises at Christmas time. I'll be home for Christmas. You know, I'll do this for Christmas. I'll do that for Christmas. But Christmas, most of all, is about God's promises. God had promised a a special son, a special child, a special descendant of Abraham who's going to come into this world. And for thousands of years, people looked forward to God fulfilling that promise. I'm sure some wondered if it was going to be fulfilled. Uh, some looked to, to hope to be part of that fulfillment. Jewish, Jewish women longed to be the mother of the Messiah. Oh, how they desired that. Uh, when, when Mary's confronted with the circumstances, that even not having a husband and not having ever known a man... She's going to give birth to the Messiah. It was a little overwhelming to her, but this was something Jewish women looked forward to. The Jewish people looked forward to a Savior, a Messiah, coming for thousands of years according to the promise of God. And now, in Jesus, the son of Abraham, it's all fulfilled. As I shared with the folks last night, the title of the cantata, At Last Noel, gives the idea of, of a birth that people are looking forward to. And, and finally, that birth came. And that birth was this wonderful son of Abraham, whom the Lord promised was going to come into this world, be a Savior, be a Messiah, uh, be Lord of Lords and King of Kings. As we'll see a little later on, we talk about Jesus being the son of David. But we find that Jesus is, number one, the son of Adam, who came bringing life, where through Adam we have death. Do we need that? Do we need that life that Jesus brings? Sadly, none of us are, are out of the genealogy of Adam. You know, if we could trace our genealogies back far enough, we'd all end up being descendants of Noah. And if you go, go up, well, we can't go back from there because it's laid out from Noah. We find out we're all descendants of Adam. 
Uh, sometimes when I talk to people about having my knees replaced uh, several years ago, they'll say, what was your, you know, what was the problem? Did you have an injury? Were you in an accident? And my response is usually, no, I was born into the wrong family. My, my dad had a couple of hips replaced and a knee replaced. My mom had a knee replaced, needed a second one replaced, but couldn't get it done because of heart issues. My, my grandmother spent her last 10 years or 15 years of her life in a wheelchair. And so I don't have good genes as far as joints are concerned. But I'll tell you what, we're all born into the wrong family when it comes to the sin issue. If you wanted to avoid being a sinner by birth and having all the complications and problems that comes along with that, you would have had to have been born in some family other than the family of Adam. If we're part of Adam's family, we have this problem. We are dying. And it's going to come to all of us. Thank God there's hope. There's hope in Adam's special son the Lord Jesus Christ. As in Adam, all die. What's the rest of the verse say? In Christ, help me out. All shall be made alive. Each one in his own order. Wow, what a great promise. Jesus is also the son of Abraham. He came to be the fulfillment of the promises of God. Thank, aren't you glad God keeps his word? I'm so glad that God's going to keep his word when it comes to John 3, 16. There we read about the Son as well, right? God so loved the world. What did he do? He gave his Son. There's a given Son again. He gave his only unique Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish or have everlasting life. I don't know what gifts you might get this Christmas. You won't get anything that tops that. The gift of the Son and the gift of everlasting life and not perishing. All because Jesus was willing to leave the throne of heaven behind. Come into that stable in Bethlehem. Out in the barn, as Kurt sang about this morning. And eventually go to the cross of Calvary. Fulfills all the promises of God. Brings us life. Heavenly Father, thank you for a glorious Savior. Thank you for Jesus the Son. The child who was born, the Son who was given. And Father, we thank you that uh, as he comes into this world... He comes to give us life, to give us eternal life, to give us a relationship with you, to give us resurrection life. And oh, how we're thankful for that this morning, Lord. And we thank you that he's also the fulfillment of all of your promises that you made through Abraham and you made any place else in the Word of God. Jesus is the fulfillment. Help us to appreciate that. And if there's anybody here that's never taken you at your word and trusted Christ as Savior, we ask, Lord, they might even call upon him this morning. If there's any Christians here that are, are discouraged today, Father, I pray they might find hope and encouragement in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll give you the praise and glory in his name. Amen. Would you take a hymnal, please? Turn to 127. Or look at the screen. Now that's leave thy throne and thy kingly crown. 127, let's stand together while we sing.